You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, we are two weeks away from the start of the 2017 college football season. Over the past couple of years, we've seen teams like Houston and Western Michigan crash the party for a New Year's Day Bowl. Teams like South Florida and BYU have their sights set on a major bowl season. But Rich Sermonello, I'm telling you, Notre Dame could be on the outside looking in for the 2017 bowl season. What you're saying outside as in not bowl eligible, Jeff? Correct. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I think after going 4-8 and eight last year, I'm expecting a rebound season out of Notre Dame. Sense of urgency. Uh, Brian Kelly needs this. Almost fired last year. And now this is a team with uh, a new look, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, better approach toward fundamentals so i'm curious to see if nd can flip that four and eight record i see them more at eight and four this year whether that's enough to save brian kelly's job might be a different question yeah we'll see how it plays out we have you covered for the next three hours front and center stage we're going to talk about the non-group of power five teams teams like western kentucky with their quarterback mike white teams like south florida quarterback Quinton Flowers, new head coach Charlie Strong. Sit back, relax. We have you covered from 9 to 12 Eastern Time, 6 to 9 Pacific. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You can follow me on Twitter at go for the 2 That's the number 2. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R- M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, I want to jump right into it. Uh, I mean, when you look at BYU, this is a team, I mean, that lost four games last year by a total of eight points. Last year's quarterback, Taysom Hill, more of a a dual-threat quarterback, uh, put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses on the perimeter, an inconsistent quarterback. But when you look at the 2017 version with Tanner Mangum, Starting week one against LSU, this could be a dynamic team and a more prolific offense in 2017. You know, I, when I think about BYU, Joe, historically, I, I think about prolific passers, whether it's uh, Jim McMahon or Robbie Bosco. It goes on and on with those, you know, NFL caliber arms that we've seen in the past. Uh, that wasn't the case with Taysom Hill. And Tanner Mangum has an interesting background from the standpoint that. He has starting experience. And even though Taysom Hill was the veteran, Tanner Mangum played a couple of years ago because Hill was often uh, injured. The problem I have with BYU right now is skill position. Who replaces Jamal Williams out of the backfield? And who are the receivers that step up to be on the receiving end of those Mangum passes? We'll see how it plays out. Rich and I are going to delve into BYU. We're also going to talk to former Notre Dame running back, Alan Pickett will get Alan's take about the Irish and Brian Kelly. He's coming up at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 p.m., uh, 8.30 a.m. on the uh, Pacific Coast there. So stay with us. We're live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is.
on college football today, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We're talking about the non-group of Power 5 teams uh, heading into the 2017 college football season. We left off with BYU and new quarterback Tanner Magnum that set BYU passing records his freshman season, Rich. This is a guy that stepped in for Taysom Hill two years ago and put up dynamic numbers. Now another year in the system with Ty Detmer. I think they could be a threat to LSU. They open up uh, in that game September 2nd in Arlington. That could be a dynamic matchup, and this could possibly be a team that, if they run the table, they could be there in the end for a possible playoff appearance. Yeah, I I think independence is actually working out quite well for BYU. They can schedule the way they want to, not tied to a conference uh, as they were in the past with the Mountain West, so there's a lot of Flexibility. I know there were a lot of question marks as to whether or not this was a good move for BYU. I like it. I like what Kalani Sataki did in his first season, was surprised at how well they played. There were some near misses. I mean, this is a team that darn near could have run the table if they had pulled out some of those close games. And when I look at this roster, Joe, uh, potential on offense with Tanger Manum. He's a mature kid, like a lot of the Cougars, a lot of the... Uh, Mormon missions that they went on. You have players that are into their 20s despite the fact that they still have eligibility remaining. So it's an interesting kind of a program the way they're set up. But again, I, I, I look at the skill positions. Squally Canada looks like he's going to take over for Jamal Williams in the backfield. But last year was the first in generations in which BYU did not produce playmaking receivers. And I don't know who steps up to really help out Tanner Mangum as he begins to develop in 2017. Yeah, that's a great point. I think when you look at BYU overall, in terms of the four games that they lost, they went for two points in Salt Lake City in the Holy War, lost that ball game 20-19 to on the road. That really set the stage. But you look at some of the other games that they lost. They lost in Provo uh, against UCLA. They were down by 14 points in that matchup to Josh Rosen. They were up 17 to nothing. UCLA. LA was it before Taysom Hill and the crew had a late touchdown to cut that deficit to 17 to 14. West Virginia as well. That, that was a team that blew out uh, BYU in the first half of that matchup. In the second half, though, the gutty Cougars came back, and, and Boise State was another game. I think when you look at BYU overall from a passing offense, they don't have a big play wide receiver, but they're going to chuck it 50 50 times a game, in my opinion, they're going to spread you out five wide, especially now without the rushing attack of Jamal Williams, their all-time leading rusher. I think this is a team that could put pressure on opposing defenses. And the, the what you mentioned in terms of their blue-collar work ethic, they are older kids and very solid each and every year in run support. They only allowed around 130 yards per game last year to opposing offenses. I think that's what can carry them through in the 2017 season. Yeah, that's a good point. I- I mean, I I like the mindset of BYU traditionally. It sort of models Utah across state, very blue-collar, very defensive-oriented. I I, I think Sataki wants to run the ball with Canada. I think there will be more of a... uh, you know, running back by committee, and also if you take at the uh, take a look at the offensive line, Joe, a lot of veterans, four returning starters. It's a unit that's solid and should support uh, the rest of the uh, the offense. De- defensively, I like the linebackers on this team. Uh, it, you have some turnover along the defensive line, but Francis Bernard. You know, you got Fred Warner at linebacker. A couple of kids who had a ton of tackles last year. So physical team. 
blue collar type of a mindset. And and when you look at that September schedule, not just LSU, but you also have Utah, you've got Wisconsin. So we're going to learn early on whether or not BYU is one of these programs that, you know, starts off outside the top 25, but has a chance with a hot start to, to really make some early noise. They seem to do that each and every year. And I think the way you beat BYU is over the top. You have to challenge their secondary. I mean, traditionally, a, a slower type of secondary. They create turnovers. But if you could pass over the top of that defense, you'll have success. You look at their schedule. I mean, they do open with LA, uh, Portland State, like we said. But I, I think we're in agreement they blow out Portland State, although anything can happen in that matchup, but then they face LSU and Danny Etling in Arlington. That could be a benefit for them to have that Portland State game under their belt, and when you have a guy like Tanner Magnum, minus two guys in the secondary, Jamal Adams and Tredavious White, that could be the matchup to watch in that LSU game. Two prominent Canadas in that game. How about that, right? We have we have Matt, the offensive coordinator right. of LSU. We'll have Maybe my favorite name in college football, I'll have to think about that, but Squally Canada, the running I'll back from BYU. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of key Canadas in that matchup. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how the BYU secondary is going to hold up against Danny Etling. We'll have to see what Etling can do in that new offense. But I look at a player like DJ Chark, who I, I, a senior from, from LSU, the wide receiver. If we talk about breakout candidates, salary run type seniors, that wide receiver against an average secondary of BYU will be interesting. So, you know, again, that's a matchup. I, I love the early season games as you do, I know as well, Joe, because we don't know a ton about these teams, and then all of a sudden the season will pivot in one direction or another. BYU gets off to a fast start, and all of a sudden, you know, how did we miss how good this team could be? Yeah, they have 13 returning starters on this club. That was 9-4 and four last year. I mean, after the LSU game, they go, you, they face Utah. That's a physical game, but they match up well against Utah. Two years ago, they were down 28 to nothing in the Las Vegas Bowl. They lost that matchup 35-28, to 28, lost in Salt Lake City 20-19, to 19, so... The Holy War is a rivalry game. And Wisconsin, again, if they can get Wisconsin into a low-scoring game, which that's Wisconsin style with Alex Hornibrook, those are winnable ball games. If they can run the gamut there, that's, this is a team that has playoff capability. Well, look at the back end of the schedule, too. I, I mean, it is a gauntlet early on, and I'm not suggesting that they're going to they're gonna sweep it. But, you know, you, you build momentum in a college football season. All it takes is that one early upset. BYU plays everybody tough. I mean, when does BYU get blown out? Right? I mean, very every, rare. Yeah, very rare. Every, every game is close. They're, they're coin toss type games. They're one possession type games that they play in. And if this team can catch a little bit of a, uh, little bit of a tailwind, back end of the schedule, East Carolina, San Jose State, Fresno State, UNLV, UMass, and Hawaii. I mean, I think each of those games at Hawaii, never easy. Uh, Hawaii played better last season, but. I think each of those games, they're a double-digit favorite. So BYU's season in 2017 really is going to hinge on what happens in the month of September. It really is. And when I look at Ty Detmer, I don't think he he did a lot in terms of building Taysom Hill's consistency. He came off double ACL injuries and really struggled as a pocket passer. But he was able to get the most out of Taysom Hill last year. And again, he is a gutty quarterback, reminding me of a of a former BYU quarterback in Jim McMahon. I mean, it really came back from adversity. 
and led this team to a 9-4 and four record. But when you look at Mangum's attributes as a pocket passer, stays in the pocket, understands his reads and progressions. And to me, I think that's where BYU can be lethal because if he gains confidence with the victory over LSU and follows that up with victories over Wisconsin and Utah, uh, this could be a, a possible Heisman Trophy contender as well. Yeah, and, and that to me, I have two keys for BYU this year. It's it's the rebuilt defensive line, their ability to remain tough against the run, and then the development of Tanner Mangum. Because I, I think BYU, again, is at its best when you have a quarterback who can stretch the field, who can provide some balance. They're going to run the ball. This is a very good offensive line, whoever the running backs are. I think they'll have success between the tackles, but you're going to need some balance at the at the quarterback position. And I also look at a player like Jonah Trinneman, the, the senior wide receiver. BYU needs Trinneman to be kind of what Austin Carr was for Northwestern last year. Um, you know, it's got to be that kind of a senior leadership possession receiver, third down and eight. He's the guy that Tanner Mangum can uh, can uh, can count on. Cal wide receiver, help me out here, Joe. Who was the senior last year for Cal? Chad Hanson. Chad Hanson. Thank you. I'm I'm thinking of a Chad Hanson type of a senior season. That's what they need to help balance out that offense. I still think they'll be good defensively. I think they'll run the ball. But what will they get from that uh, from that aerial attack? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, when you look at their secondary, I, I, this is where if they can force teams into shootouts per se, because uh, I think that that's where uh, they can beat a team like Mississippi State and Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, a one-dimensional team there. But their secondary allowed 252 passing yards per game. They only allowed 113 rushing yards, two opposing offenses. But they're going to need to play better. And I think that in those tough matchups, like you mentioned, against Chark and LSU, if they could force LSU into a a wide-open game, uh, I I think they can win that type of style. Well, very quickly, Joe, I mean, if you look at the schedule, we're we're both concerned about the secondary of BYU. LSU, Utah, Wisconsin, those big early games, no elite quarterbacks out of those three. So that could benefit the Cougars. And that's what I'm saying as they move through the schedule. And that's what makes college football... so interesting because the contrast in styles about how these week one matchups and week two matchups play out is why we're talking about it each and every Saturday. When we come back, we'll dive right into Charlie Strong and South Florida. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34 Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on College Football Today, live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We're jumping into the AAC, American Athletic Conference. We're going to jump in with Charlie Strong in South Florida, Quentin Flowers, dynamic quarterback that resembles Lamar Jackson in terms of athleticism. We're talking about a team in South Florida last year, Rich, that was 11-2 overall, two losses, two Florida State and Temple. Those teams were a combined 20 and 7. Charlie Strong could have a winner here in terms of a possible playoff dark horse. Joe, you might have to help me here because I can't remember the last time a coach landed on his feet so softly <laughs> as Charlie Strong did because he did a horrible job in Austin. Really dropped the ball with Texas, had a golden opportunity, couldn't get over the 500 mark, 
And then he winds up with this plum job in Tampa <laughs> where they have a tremendous recruiting base. They return a very talented team, which I think looks like it could be the best of the group of five teams. He, he inherits Quinton Flowers. He knows the state of Florida. He has always recruited the state of Florida very well. So this is an ideal situation for Charlie Strong to resuscitate his reputation and his career and really get back to be the Charlie Strong that we kind of counted on at Louisville. I mean, when when he was at Louisville, he was one of the rising stars, one of the rising young coaches uh, in the ranks. He goes backwards, but now he's got a shot at South Florida. I mean, I look at that schedule, and I'm going to need some help. Tough games. I mean, they, they do play Houston later in the season, November the 4th, but this is a team that is constructed to run the table and make a play, not for a playoff spot, but certainly for a New Year's Six bowl game. Yeah, well, let's talk about this program overall in terms of where Jim Levitt took it years ago. He had it to a a number two ranking. Skip Holtz took over and really ran that program into the ground. And I'm so happy that USF decided to let former head coach Willie Taggart get his players there to build it up to where it is now. I mean, you look at a player like Quinton Flowers last year, 24 touchdown passes, 1,500 rushing yards, 18 rushing touchdowns. Rich, this was an offense that rushed for over 200 in every game last year, except the loss to Temple. They rushed for 162 yards in that loss. But, I mean, really came back from the depths of, of, of the abyss with Skip Holtz. And, and Willie Taggart did a fantastic job. And the one thing I can tell you that Charlie Strong brings to this program that w- he will bring is a physicality on the defensive side of the ball because that's where South Florida had some issues last year, allowed well over 400 yards per game to opposing offenses. And this is where USF can take the most strides in 2017. Joe, that that's a great point. I, I mean, in the past, South Florida, even going back to the Matt Grothy days, you know, they had trouble scoring. Played great defense under Levitt. Levitt, terrific defensive coordinator, did a wonderful job at Colorado. Now he's at Oregon with Willie Taggart. You know, they had trouble scoring. Now the offense is not an issue, but the defense does lack that physicality. So the addition of Charlie Strong is ideal for where this program needs to go because in that one game when they didn't rush for 200 yards, the loss to Temple, they got completely ran roughshod on uh, defensively, gave up 46 points. So they have some good returning talent on defense. Augie Sanchez in the middle, Deatric Nichols on the back end, Deadrin Sanat up front, one of the really underrated interior defensive linemen in the country. But they need to coalesce and begin to help out, pull a little bit more of the weight for an offense that will again be very good despite the surprise departure of their top running back, Marlon Mack, to the NFL. That's a great point as well. And when you t- those that want to say Charlie Strong wasn't getting it done in Texas, I disagree with that. I mean, back-to-back five and seven seasons, two years ago, Texas was outscored in those seven losses by a total margin of 273 to 146. In 2016, they lost seven games by a total of 62 points or 8.8 points per game, Rich. He was getting it done, but slowly. And, and I don't think that the Texas faithful, per se, and that loss to Kansas didn't help, gave enough time for him to allow his talent and recruits 
to get there because let's be honest, Mac Brown uh, in the latter part of his career was not really recruiting uh, a defensive presence for the Longhorns. So I think that this can be a diamond in the rough if you're looking for a team that could possibly crash the party and, and be there in a major bowl come January. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me challenge you, Joe, when you talk about Charlie Strong. I, I, I did not think he did a good job. There, there was progress. There certainly was progress in terms of the talent. But now we look, I don't want to go into Big 12 country necessarily, but we're talking Charlie Strong. If Charlie was there this year with that talent, and they have a lot of talent, right? Shane Bouchelle is now a sophomore, and you know Connor Williams, one of the top offensive linemen, Malik Jefferson on defense. If Charlie was there this year, do you think this would have been the turnaround season for him uh, with the Longhorns? I think they would have definitely been seven and five at least. But, that, I, but seven and five wouldn't be good enough. That would but, have been year four for Charlie. Seven and five, fourth year. You, if you're Texas, year yes, four, you got you got to be ten you. and two. But I think when you look at Texas at Mac Brown at the end of the career, they would they were they were nine and three. They weren't playing with a defensive presence. And if you've watched Charlie Strong, especially at Louisville, Rich, he wanted to run the football between the tackles. He had running backs like Michael Dyer, and he wanted to work off a of play action with Teddy Bridgewater. That's what he wanted to do. He tried to do that early, and the Texas fan base didn't want it because of the wide open Big Twelve, and he was forced to make this change with Shane Bouchelle and the offense that they had last year, but that's not what he really wanted to do. He wants to run the football, and this offense really fits his type of offensive philosophy to go with the defensive scheme that he wants to introduce. Yeah, I mean, listen, he is a he's a pro-style football coach. I think that still works. He's not going to be air raid. He's not going to be uh, wide open, West Coast, five wide type of a uh, of a head coach, and I and I think that's fine. I, I think that's you know, look at who has been the best team in the American Athletic Conference the past couple of seasons. It's been Houston or Temple, right? Or right? Temple. Or Temple. Right. I, I mean, I, I think about Temple and Matt Rule, and and Matt Rule's mindset was defense and the ground game, and a quarterback who does just enough. PJ Walker last season. You know, does just enough, don't turn the ball over, capitalize when the defense uh, stacks the box, and I think that's what he has in South Florida. They have to play better defensively. 122nd nationally last year against the pass, and I, I think they have better talent in the secondary than 122nd. I really like Deatric Nichols. I think he's a playmaker who will play on Sundays. And on the offensive side, you, know, you have Quinton Flowers. The big development for me last year, Joe, was became a little more of a passer. You know, I don't know if he has an NFL arm. I don't know if he's an NFL decision maker. He's a runner first, but he throws 24 touchdown passes to seven picks. Just the element of that passing game really, really helps the overall offensive continuity of the Bulls. Without a doubt, and I agree with you in terms of Quinton Flowers taking the next step. I think he needs more development in his reads and progressions to make that jump to the NFL, but pure athleticism, he can take over games, Rich, and I, just the way Lamar Jackson can and put pressure on opposing defenses on the edge and on the perimeter, for me, is where this, this team is lethal without Marlon Mack. So, I think that Charlie Strong, it's going to take a couple of weeks, trust me, to get this defensive front seven buying in to understand gap integrity and understanding assignments. But when you look at the schedule, I mean, I, I will say this. I think that week one game against San Jose State is a tricky game. You have a new head coach in Brennan there for San Jose State, a veteran team that brings back eight starters on offense, eight on defense, and a veteran secondary 
it's not going to be an easy game. But then you look that after that, Stony Brook at UConn, Illinois with uh, Lovey Smith, Temple without uh, P.J. Walker and Jahad Thomas, East Carolina without Zay Jones and Philip Nelson, and then UMass, Tulane, Cincinnati, that's a tough game, Houston tough, Tulsa, and at UC- UCF. Those are all winnable games. Oh, yeah. They they can they can be twelve and zero. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, to me, and no disrespect uh, to the Owls down in Philadelphia, I still sort of think South Florida was the best AAC team last year. I think the fact that they didn't capitalize and win a conference championship, they should have had one loss. They should have had just the the Florida State loss. I think they were better than Temple. Didn't prove it on the field, but that sets up as a very very interesting game. On, uh, what is that, September the 21st, uh, that's going to be a fascinating... Is that a Thursday night game? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, if that's a Thursday night game at Raymond James, you know, revenge on their mind, possibly title implications in September, Quinton Flowers, fringe Heisman contender, possibly... Only if they run the table. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think when you look at some of the other players that he's going to be going up against, uh, I don't see it unless he's 12-0, and 0, and this team is a la Houston two years ago with Greg Ward Jr., but anything's possible. A- anything's possible in terms of college football, but I agree with you. I, I think when you look at this team overall, I think they were the best team last year. I, I, without a doubt, I think this was the best team at the end of the year, peaking at just the right time. They beat up on a, a, a South Carolina defense that was an SEC caliber defense in the bowl game without their head coach as well, Willie Taggart, that m- moved on yeah. to Oregon. So, I mean, this was a, a focused team at the end of the year. And I think they bring a physicality on the offense and defensive lines, like you mentioned, that I think Charlie Strong can coach up heading into 2017. And I think that's where the success comes for this team. But they're going to need to get better in terms of run support. Yeah, I, I think the story, two storylines for me when you think about USF, it's it's Quinton Flowers for the nation that hasn't seen him. Uh, he is a dynamic dual threat quarterback, and then Charlie Strong. I mean, I, I everybody loves a bounce back story, second chances, revival. He gets an opportunity in year one. I mean, this is not even a rebuilding job. He has a ranked preseason team with a fringe Heisman caliber quarterback and a team that might be favored every week. So let's see what you could do with that, Charlie. This is what I love right now. Right now we're the calm before the storm here. We're talking USF. We're talking Houston next. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe E.C. Rich Sermonello talking a little American Athletic Conference. We left off with Charlie Strong in South Florida. Going to turn our attention to the new head coach, Major Applewhite and the Houston Cougars. Very intriguing team here with Houston. Tom Herman moving on to Texas. 
Houston at 9-4 and four last year. Disappointing bowl loss to San Diego State and Rocky Long. They got obliterated. They got, they got blown out by San Diego State in that bowl game, Rich. They really didn't show up. Greg Ward Jr. did not play well in that matchup. But this is a team in Houston that has some playmakers. They have Duke Catalan at the running back position. They have Linnell Bonner at wide receiver. And they do get Texas A&M transfer quarterback Kyle Allen that looks to get the nod over Potsma. This is a team that could put up some points in 2017. Yeah, looking back at last year, it feels like ages ago, um, this had to be the most curious or one of the most curious teams in college football in 2016 because they opened the year with uh, the big win over Oklahoma. They sky deep into the rankings. We're having debates whether what's it going to take for Houston to make it to the playoffs. And then they wrap up the season quietly, right? The loss to Memphis. You mentioned the blowout loss at the hands of San Diego State. They lose their head coach in Tom Herman, replaced by Major Applewhite. So where are we now with the Houston Cougars? I mean, I think there's a preponderance of talent. I love the addition of Kyle Allen. As much as it was fun to watch Greg Ward, right, dual threat, hurt all the time, Kyle Allen is more of a traditional pocket passer. He he does have escapability, but this is a blue chipper who began his career at Texas A&M, left Kevin Sumlin, now he gets to work under the tutelage of uh, Major Applewhite. So, one of the, I love transfers, by the way. I, it, it, it's our free agency. It's college football free agency. So, eager to see what Kyle Allen could do in that offense. Well, I will say this about Houston overall. Their success in 2016 hinged on a couple of factors. They had a veteran secondary, Rich, as you know, that was very solid and more importantly, created turnovers. In 2016, this team was second in FBS behind San Diego State at plus 21. Last year, they were negative. I will say this about Kyle Allen. Uh, again, a consistent passer two years ago at Texas A&M, numbers-wise. He was uh, over 60% completion percentage, 21 touchdown passes, a different type of quarterback than Greg Ward Jr., who is an athletic quarterback, as you know. But in big games, Rich, this is a guy that threw three pick sixes to Alabama in College Station, didn't step up on the major stage He's more of a major Applewhite type of guy, I want to say, because Applewhite understands personnel, and he's a better fit than Potsma, but no Greg Ward Jr. And I think that's where, when you look at the 2017 success, that's where they might take a slight step back. Well, I mean, I, I think you're grading harshly. Uh, you know, uh, it was it was against Alabama, and and I think Kyle Allen was was he a redshirt freshman or a true freshman at that point? He was a sophomore. Wasn't he was he? a sophomore, but still, he was he he didn't have much experience, and he's going. I, I'm looking at the schedule. The Crimson Tide not on Houston's schedule this year, so I think that's I think that's pretty safe for Kyle Allen. Um, you know, we don't know for sure what to expect. I don't love the receivers of Houston. Linnell Bonner, you mentioned being one. I like Duke Catalan. Uh, some receivers are going to have to step up and, and help Kyle Allen. But I still think in terms of pure arm talent, he is an upgrade over Greg Ward. And as much as I like Greg Ward, the fact that you had to worry every time he left the pocket, he was so small and so frail. The ankle injuries, the shoulder problems, he was constantly getting banged up. That's why we've seen Kyle Postma in the past. I think this is an upgrade on offense. Defensively, 
Houston has always been very opportunistic, a lot of sacks, a lot of takeaways. Ed Oliver, their defensive tackle, an absolute coup by that entire staff, Tom Herman's staff, to get him to Houston because he is, in my opinion, one of the 10 best defensive players regardless of the conference. He is an SEC caliber type of an interior lineman, moves at a different speed than opposing offensive linemen, was a man amongst boys as a true freshman last year. He'll be gone after three years after the 2018 season. So some holes on that defense, but a lot of athletes, a lot of good talent on that Houston uh, defense. Well, they do lose emotional leader Steven Taylor that moves on to the NFL. That's a huge loss for that defense overall heading into 2017. I think when you look at Duke Catalan, this is a back now that could possibly be, uh, I want to say, one of the most dynamic running backs in the country. He was injured for much of last year. His ability in the short to intermediate passing game could put pressure on opposing defenses. Uh, I think this could be a dynamic offense in terms of points. I agree with you with Greg Ward in terms of he was injured, but let's keep in mind, Greg Ward was a former high school quarterback that moved to wide receiver, and then when there were some injuries to Houston, he made the switch back, and Thank God for Tom Herman and his presence because to recognize Greg Ward's ability and to coach that talent up, but he, it's a different offense now. Now, Kyle Allen's going to sit in the pocket. He's not, he's not going to utilize read option as much, and he's not going to improvise the way Greg Ward did to take the pressure off the offensive line, and that's where I see some concerns for Houston in terms of not being as explosive but defensively, you mentioned Oliver. That's where they're solid. Secondary is where I have, I have some concerns. They were exposed by Riley Ferguson in that Memphis game as well. So there, if you're a Houston fan, that's what you need to shore up if you're looking to make it to a major bowl this upcoming year. Well, three returning starters in the secondary, that's a positive. And, and I really like the safety tandem. I know corner is going to... You know, get most of the focus when we're talking about past defense or lapses in past events. But Garrett Davis, Khalil Williams, two hard-hitting safeties will help shore up not only the pass defense but the run defense as well. And on the inside, at linebacker, Matthew Adams returns, had a ton of tackles last year, plays well sideline to sideline. You know, Houston is not going to have a great defense. This is not going to be a snot-knocking UCF-caliber defense, but they tend to make a lot of big plays. They tend to make a lot of turnovers, create takeaways, get to the quarterback, make plays behind the line of scrimmage. It's a big play defense. In terms of the offense, if this is more of a traditional pro-style type of an attack, I think that's fine. I, I think that's okay. In the big picture for Houston, if you're looking to become you know, sort of the kingpin of the AAC and the type of program that is still trying to gain favor maybe down the road if the Big 12 ever expands, I think that kind of a pro-style offense with Catalan out of the backfield and the passing of Kyle Allen to Bonner and Stephen Dunbar, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I agree, and I think they're a perfect fit for the Big 12. I'm shocked that the Big 12, when they turned down expansion, wouldn't want a team like Houston or even BYU, for that matter, in the mix because I think those were perfect fits. 
I will say this about Houston overall. Uh, again, this is a team, when you look at their schedule, Rich, again, it's not difficult. I mean, UTSA is uh, UTSA is a, is a tough game. I'll oh, tell yeah. you that. Uh, oh, defensively, yeah. that's not an easy game. Frank Wilson did a very, very nice Excellent job, job. last year. They were 6-7 yeah. and seven last year. Arizona and Rich Rod, he's on the hot seat. Whenever you go out to Tempe, that's not, uh, not Tempe, excuse me, Tucson, that's not an easy place to play. And then now Rice and Texas Tech, Texas Tech is down. That physical game with Temple, even though Matt Rule's not there, Jeff Collins and the crew, they're going to be up for that matchup. That's a difficult game. I think that's a telltale game for me. Can they knock off Temple on the road in Philadelphia? That'll give you a good gauge as where they stand for, for the year. I think this team is right in the area, 8-4, uh, again uh, in 2017. The one thing I, I would want to stress to, to fans uh, that are listening, more than anything else about Houston, it's interesting that you have Major Applewhite, first-time head coach, didn't like the decision myself. I thought it was a safe hire. Uh, there's continuity. They went with their offensive coordinator. I thought, don't know if it was realistic, I thought they should have made a run at less miles. I, I think you could really? have possibly really? gotten less miles. Yeah, Knows the terrain, has recruited that area, really wanted to be a head coach. And although it's not Power 5, Joe, Houston is a program that has pumped a lot of money into the facilities. you got a new stadium they're really aggressively promoting their sports programs led by football. I think you could have gotten a less miles. That was my opinion. I thought I thought Major Apple was kind of a safe pick. Really? I yeah. I think he's a young gun. He, you think he's a rising star? I never thought of him as among co- amongst coordinators. I never thought of Major Applewhite as one of those can't miss kind of coaches. Yeah, but here's where I look with the, with the hire though. Uh, Les Miles, I love Les Miles. I, but I love the old Les Miles, the man hatter Les Miles, the guy that would go for it five times on fourth down, not the Les Miles that recruited top five talent and was like tin cup and played it up on the green and not aggressive i think that's what you have in major Applewhite, a la tom herman you have a young hungry head coach you understands the personnel as being the offensive coordinator there and now he's going to go for it remember major Applewhite as quarterback for texas I mean, that Holiday Bowl against Washington, I mean, he brought his team back and back, and they didn't win that ball game. But you're talking about a game in terms of uh, he's, he understands adversity, and I think he's a young guy that understands and can buy into the program and build it his way. I mean, at the end of the day, Les Miles, he might have taken the job at Houston, but would he have really stayed mm. there? Uh, for four yeah, no, or five I, I, years. Listen, you bring up a fair point. I, I think you could definitely make a case for continuity. I think certainly the 2017 team will benefit by having last year's offensive coordinator now as the head coach. Uh, I, you know, Kyle Allen, the offensive personnel, they'll benefit as well. So that's good. I think long term, though, I'm not sure if three or four years from now people are looking to poach Major Applewhite uh, away from Houston. Keep it where it is. When we come back, we're continuing American Athletic Conference. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on college football today wrapping up the AAC we talked South Florida we talked Houston we're going to get into Cincinnati and new head coach Luke Fickle very quickly but 
This is a team that has some pieces in place, Rich. They have Hayden Moore. They have Mike Boone. This is a team in Tommy Tuberville last year that was 4-8. and eight. But they have some pieces here that can make them productive and get back to a bowl, in my opinion. I think they could be right in the area of possibly 6-6 six and six for 2017. Yeah, you and I are in agreement here. We talked a little bit off the air. I, I think we both have... Um, higher hopes for Cincinnati than most people do and 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 you correct me if I'm wrong that we're on the same page here because you know Tommy Tuberville and his team in my opinion underachieved last year I I I look at teams oftentimes and say you know I know the talent what should that record equal it should not have equaled what Cincinnati did last year I think they had better talent than what was shown in the final results and now you have a more disciplined uh, type of approach with Luke Fickle, somebody who knows that area of the country extremely well. He's been a lifelong Ohio State Buckeye, but knows the state of Ohio, is really going to work on fundamentals, blocking and tackling, which were lacking at Cincinnati. So, you know, not a lot of sexy names. You touched on Hayden Moore. I, we, we talked earlier about BYU and Tanner Mangum. I say they're similar situations in that, Moore was pressed into action early in his career, so he has the benefit of experience. If he winds up holding off Ross Trail and winning that job, I think this is a team that this could be a table-setting year. It's a foundation year, not a storm the gates. But if you're 6-6, six and six, get that 13th game, that's a good start for Luke Fickle. I never felt like Tommy Tuberville and correct me if I'm wrong, was the right fit for Cincinnati, even though he brought great success there. I mean, he got them to a bowl game. He recruited Gunnar Keel. He got Hayden Moore. Just never felt like he was the guy. Like, he never... He seemed like a fish out of water, an SEC guy in Ohio coaching... Luke Fickle's the guy, in my opinion. He's a blue-collar head coach. He's a guy that understands the landscape and, more importantly, will coach that defense up. That's something Tuberville did not do there. Well, when I think about Cincinnati and coaching, Joe, I I, I think about it as a launching point for careers. Mark D'Antonio began at Cincinnati. Brian Kelly, I say began, obviously there were a lot of jobs before that, but Brian Kelly before Notre Dame was Cincinnati. Butch Jones before Tennessee Cincinnati. Tommy Tuberville was an odd fit because he was on the tail end of his career. He was coming by way of Texas Tech to Cincinnati. Now, I know his wife's uh, family was from Ohio, so they were excited to go back. I don't think he loved that position, and it showed Luke Fickle will use this as an opportunity for his own launching pad, possibly to the uh, Power 5. I agree with you. I think they're a team that could be 500. They started fast last year, and, and really they didn't find consistency as the year went on. I mean, they played Tulsa very tough at the end of the year. They took them to overtime, lost that ball game. They beat up on my Purdue Boilermakers week number one of last year. If Hayden Moore gets hot early and builds confidence, he only threw uh, 11 touchdown passes last year. If he builds confidence in the system and they're going to want to run the football with Boone and work off a play action, this is a team and a quarterback that can carry them through and possibly eight, nine wins are on the horizon for this team. One player I want to throw out, um, again, I bring up transfers a lot because I love them, but uh, Ohio State transfer Torrance Gibson followed Fickle from Columbus to Cincinnati. Former five-star recruit. Things didn't work out with the Buckeyes, but he's a dynamic all-around playmaker, little quarterback, little receiver. He's going to be a part of that offense 
and someone that should be watched this year. This is what it's all about. We're going to be talking Mountain West Conference next. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.